Well, not bad for Presbyterians. <laughs> Titus chapter 2. Now, if you're paying attention, you'll go, wait, we were just in Titus chapter 2 a couple weeks ago. Uh, when was that? That must have been on Mother's Day. Hmm. And I warned you, gentlemen, that we would return to this passage and see what it has to say for us. Now, it's no shock that men and women are different. Um, and I want to tell you, I live in a house full of women. They are different. Very different. My dog and I just don't understand them, okay? <laughs> Maybe it's they don't understand me. That, that, that's the issue. I don't know. But there are many similarities in the things that we are called to do because when Christ comes and lives within us, there is an expectation that you will be changed, that your life will demonstrate and manifest the things of Christ. Whether you're a man or a woman, they will be in your life. Now, there are some different expectations because of who we are, but yet we are called to godly living, and there is no getting away from that. If Christ has changed your heart, your life will change as well. So if you're able, will you stand with me, and I will read from Titus, Titus chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. Heavenly Father, come upon us today that we might understand your word, that it would be clear to us, not just in our minds, but in our hearts, that the things of Christ would come and dwell within us and that we would manifest them in the way that we live, in the words that we say, the actions that we take, the attitudes of our heart in all that we are. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Titus chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. But as for you, speak the things which are fitting for sound doctrine. Older men are to be temperate, dignified, sensible, sound in faith, in love, in perseverance. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in their behavior, not malicious gossips, nor enslaved to much wine, teaching what is good, that they may encourage the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be sensible, pure workers at home, kind, being subject to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be dishonored. Likewise, urge the young men to be sensible. In all things, show yourself to be an example of good deeds with purity in doctrine, dignified, sound in speech, which is beyond reproach, in order that the opponent may be put to shame, having nothing bad to say about us. Urge bond slaves to be subject to their own masters in everything, to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith that they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in every respect. This is God's inspired word for us today, so please be seated. And I'll just say the same things that I said on Mother's Day about the last section. Slavery was simply a fact of life in the New Testament times. Remember, two-thirds of the population of Rome at that time was made up of slaves. Uh, scripture doesn't go out and say, stop slavery. Uh, but if you read the things of Paul, especially in the letter of Philemon, that is certainly an undercurrent. But Paul calls himself what? At the beginning of almost every book, a bond slave. Of Christ. He has sold himself into slavery for Christ. So that is his attitude as he goes about ministry. 
So remember the context here. Uh, Paul is writing to Titus, and he, Titus is out at Crete, and Crete is a particularly uh, morally corrupt area, much like Corinth. And he is saying, if the gospel has come and made a difference in your life, then your life has to be different. And these are the things that you need to teach this particular group of people so that they might manifest the graciousness and the mercy and the, the evidence of Christ in their lives. Okay, And he begins with hitting on the doctrine, and he says, you've got to teach right doctrine, so that their lives are right. They've got to know how to live so that they can live. Now, it is, these are not either or. You cannot just have right doctrine. You can't have just right life. You've got to have both. Okay? You've got to understand and have a base of how you are to live that is correct doctrine. And that's very important. We'll look at it in a moment. And out of that right doctrine, you need to demonstrate it in your life. You can sit at home and say, you know what? I've got all these books, and I've read them all, and I want to tell you what, I am up to speed on what Christ says. I know what Calvin said, and I know what Augustine said, and I know what the early church fathers said, and I know what all the good guys say. But if you don't demonstrate it, it does no good. Now, the flip side of that is you can be the nicest person in the world, but if it doesn't come out of the doctrine of the things of Christ, then all you are are a nice person. You're not godly. You're not particularly demonstrating the things of Christ. You're just being nice. They must go together. Your doctrine must be right. It must be pure. It must be uncorrupt. And your life must demonstrate that uncorrupt doctrine, that purity. So Paul is emphasizing that, Titus, your preaching, your teaching in this local congregation has to be in accord, has to go with sound doctrine, has to be full of that so that they might live it out. Remember, if you don't live it out, then you're like the salt that has lost it's flavor. Okay, what good is it? Okay, what good is it? My, my uh, grandmother, who's in, a, in, a, uh, in, a, in a, uh, this, this facility in North Carolina, we were visiting her, and she said, you know, they make the food, and there's no salt in it. It's just bland. And I said, don't they give you salt at the table? No, they won't give you any salt. Okay, so we know what it is like if you don't have any saltiness. You can say you have salt, but if you don't flavor the world around you, if you don't demonstrate it, it's no good. Christ in my life has to influence his life. Christ in his life has to influence her life. Christ in her life has to influence his life. See, it has to permeate all our relationships. It's not enough that for me to say Christ has changed my life I'm not demonstrating it, if I'm not influencing those around me with it, it's really not that important to me, or I'm not living out what I'm called to do. All right, let's get into the particulars. Verse 2, older men. Who's an older man? Well, you, you're two days younger than God, right? That's the way it works. Older men, uh, and we did this with the ladies, it's to, to some extent, it's anybody who's older than me is an older man. And anybody who is younger than me is a younger man. Now, within the context, there might have been some uh, debate or some age around 60 is a, is a line because there's some mention of that age in other parts as, as differenti differentiating older and younger. Um, but in our culture, it's, it's different. I'm going to let you apply this as you like because the expectations are great for either side, older or younger. But I'm definitely going to say anybody who's 
older than me, I'm going to put in this category, so your life better be an example to me. Anybody who is younger than me, they're going to look at me and say, I'm going to put you in the older man category, so your life better be an example to me. Okay? So two things that he talks about in verse 2. He talks about the character of older men, and then he talks about their spiritual health being revealed in how they live, in their faith, their love, and particularly their perseverance particularly their perseverance. He says, older men, you must stay the course. You must finish well. Ooh, there, there are several books out there about finishing well, guys. It's not too hard to find one. Now, what do I mean by finishing well? Well, you reach a certain age and you go, you know what, I did those things, and it's time for somebody else to come along and do those things, and I'm going to cruise. There's no cruising. I don't find cruise in Scripture anywhere. I find finish well. I find persevere to the end. I find demonstrate the things of Christ no matter what your age. And frankly, the more gray hair you have in Christ, the more is expected of you. Okay? It's not that, oh, it's, you know, he's, he's a young buck and he needs to get going and do those things. Yes, he does, but who will he follow as an example? He will follow you, okay? I'm 50 years old. If you're 51, I want to see the example of Christ in your life, okay? Because I'm going to follow you as an example. If you've been a believer for 30 years, you better demonstrate those things, okay? You must persevere. I'll give you an example of this. The date is... October 20th, 1968, it's 7 p.m., it's Mexico City, it's the Olympics. And they're all in the, the stadium, and all, most people have left because it's the marathon. And the, the winner of the marathon came across the line an hour ago. And this is the Olympics, you expect everybody to be relatively close. And most people are leaving, and here the sirens go off, and that means there's one more person coming in. And here comes this man from Tanzania. And he comes limping into the stadium, kind of hobbling. His leg is all bandaged, and there's blood on the bandage. And he goes around the track for the final lap, and he crosses the line, and the crowd cheers, whoever's left, as, because he has finished. And he doesn't really acknowledge the crowd. He kind of heads off to the, uh, the locker room. And one of the people in the crowd goes to him, and they ask him the question, uh, you know, the winner was here an, an hour ago. Why didn't you just quit and give up? And he said, my people did not send me 7,000 miles to quit. They sent me 7,000 miles to finish. When he went home to Tanzania, he was hailed as a national hero because he finished. Okay? It is not enough just to run portions of the race. You must finish. Paul talks about keeping his eyes on the prize, his eyes on the finish line, and running the race all the way through. If you talk to runners, and specifically sprinters, their job is not to run to the tape. It is to run where? Through the tape. Okay, you run through the tape. Gentlemen, your job is to persevere. It is to finish the race and to finish well. To finish well. John Piper said, perseverance is not the means by which we earn God's favor, Perseverance is the fruit of God favoring us already because we are in Christ. We cannot improve upon the perfections of Christ. If Christ is the foundation of God being for us, then he now favors us to the fullest extent that he ever will. To think otherwise is to rob Christ of glory. 
The key to getting old, to the glory of God, to persevering, is to keep finding Christ as your highest treasure. Keep seeing him. Keep valuing him. Keep treasuring him. It is not mainly a fight to do. It is a fight to delight. It is a fight to delight. Older men, do you delight in the things of Christ? Are you finding more and more out about Christ and finding a greater and greater joy in him? That is persevering in Christ. And Paul is talking to Titus about this, to continue to exhort the older men here at Crete in the realm of their character. And he goes on to speak about their faith and their love and how this reveals their spiritual health. And if they're not cutting it in these areas, then they are spiritually unhealthy. Their spiritual health is revealed in their faith, in their belief, in their trust, in their love, in their tangible care for the brethren, in their love for God, and in their perseverance. And he says there are particular temptations that come to older men. And one of those is to cruise. He says you cannot do that. You cannot do that. When the world looks and sees a person who is holy and who is righteous and who is virtuous, who is at peace, who experiences joy, who is blessed, who is happy, who is satisfied, who is fulfilled, that is a demonstration of what Christ can do. That is a means and a vehicle of evangelism. Piper goes on to say, to convince a man God can save him, I need to show him a man that God has saved. To convince a man that God can give hope, I need to show him a man with hope. To convince a man that God can give peace and joy and love, I need to show him a man with peace and joy and love. To to convince a man that God can give complete and total and utter satisfaction, I need to show him a man who is satisfied in God. You see, the way we work in evangelism is by proclaiming the word as well as living the life. A transformed life lived to the glory of God is an advertisement for Christ. It is a means of demonstrating the things of Christ. Hebrews chapter 13, we're told to follow the faith of those who are over us, those who have gone before us. They need to, they, we need to follow them as what they have done and how they have lived. Philippians chapter 3, Paul says, join in following my example. Observe my behavior, how I follow Christ. Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, it says, be imitators of me as I imitate Christ. Don't imitate the things I don't do look like Christ with, okay? Imitate me as I imitate Christ. There is to be an example before us. Now, the, the word example here in the New Testament is that which comes when you take a hammer and you hit something with it, okay? Now, everybody knows that if, you're, if you've ever used a hammer and there's a nail and a piece of wood, you don't always hit the nail on the head. Sometimes you hit the wood, and what happens to the wood? leaves a mark in the wood. That's the same word here. It means a mark, an imprint, a dye, something that is left. And that is how we should live. Our example should be that of a mark that is left on other people's lives. Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ. That is the mark that he wants to leave on people's lives. 
So he goes on quickly. Let me give you a couple things that he says. Older men are to be temperate, that is, sober-minded. We are to be clear-headed, not clouded by the things of the world. Older men are to be dignified, that is, serious, that is, that is have a sense of personal dignity about them so that, um, oh, how do you even describe it? Um, you know, there are, there are people that always... Um, they always uh, uh, look good. They always have a, an air about them of dignity. They walk into a room and you'd never ask them to go mud wrestling. I mean, they just don't look like that. They, but they come in with an air of wisdom and dignity. That is what this means. We are, older men are to be dignified. Older men are to be sensible. They are to be balanced and they are to be under control. They're never to be out of control. Older men are to be under control. Older men are to be sound in faith. Healthy in their faith comes from understanding the things of God, understanding what doctrine is right and pure, and filling your mind with that. Older men are to be sound in perseverance. Sound in perseverance. You are to be able to bear up under the trials of life. Why can you bear up under the trials of life? Because your heart and mind are full of the things of Christ, of sound doctrine, of the years of maturity, and of, in a sense, the trial and error of faith, learning to trust Christ in the midst of whatever is going on. There are younger men who need your example. They're going to look at you and say, how has he borne up under the weight of the life? And that's how I want to live. Younger men. Everybody younger than Bill. Sorry, Bill. <laughs> younger men. How are we supposed to live? <clears throat> I say we because I'm younger than others. Okay? Now, really, Titus is probably about 30 years old. So everybody around 30, take that into consideration as the context of this passage. There are dangers in young men. Okay, now, some of us understand those dangers because we look back and we're shocked that we have survived our young adulthood or our teenage years or our early 20s. Um, I understand, and, and anybody who's, uh, I know there are a couple, at least one or two Marines here, you make Marines out of 18-year-olds. Why? Because they're indestructible. They can't die. Okay? You don't make a Marine out of a 50-year-old. Okay? I'm concerned that I might die. You can't kill an 18-year-old. That's why you go, you, you train them and you say, go get them. They're virile. They've got pride. Okay, pride that's untested. They've got confidence. Confidence that is untested. Okay, those things come as they get older. But right now, they're action-oriented and they get things done. And that is good and that is bad. And Paul understands that. In the Christian life, it is the same thing. There are good things to young men, and then there are bad things to young men. And he says, so I'm going to give you some ideas on how to put parameters on the young men that they might live godly lives, but still take full advantage of their young adulthood. Okay? So a couple dangers. There are two dangers that I came up with. I'm sure there are plenty of others. One danger for young men is a detrimental attachment to our culture. A detrimental attachment to our culture. Young men raised in this culture can easily become accustomed to sin. Accustomed to sin. We see it 
we hear it, it is all around us, it is all before us. Okay? And one of the dangers of that is that that breeds a familiarity. Okay? Not a disgust, but a familiarity. We become accustomed to it, and that sin becomes our friend. And those friends are, are very difficult to shake off the rest of our lives. Now, perhaps you understand, maybe you've got some friends and, and friends that are sins that you are continuing to hang on to that you became friends with in your young adulthood, and you just can't seem to get rid of them. Perhaps their thoughts, perhaps their words that you say, perhaps their actions that you take, but they seem to cling to us. So there is a danger that we need to make sure that we don't become attached, that our young men do not become attached to this culture, because the priorities of the culture have to, have to be replaced with the priorities of Christ. And once those get instilled in them, it becomes very difficult to change that. Now, a few years ago, there was an article. That article was entitled, Will Your Son Throw a 90-Mile-An-Hour Fastball in Hell? Think about that. Will your son throw a 90-Mile-An-Hour Fastball in Hell? The gist of the article was that dads, we get so focused upon teaching our sons and our children the things of this world and what is important that we neglect what is really important. Okay? We spend all that money on tutors and on coaches so that our sons can throw the 90 mile an hour fastball, but we didn't teach them the things of Christ. We didn't teach them what they should believe. We didn't teach them about the mercy and the grace that comes from Jesus Christ. The second danger is immaturity. Now, what? Youth is wasted on the young, okay? Youth is wasted on the young. But immaturity brings with it these, these dangers, and that is creating these habits and not being able to get rid of these habits. As I said, youth is a time of confidence that is undeserved. It is a time of pride that needs to be, in a sense, whittled away from us. Okay? You don't have anything to be prideful of yet. It is simply this, this exuberance within us. There's a book that was called, it's called Over the Edge, and it chronicles all of the deaths that have taken place in the Grand Canyon. All of the deaths that have taken place in the Grand Canyon. It's arranged by categories. Falls, dehydration, floods, accidents within the Colorado River, air crashes, freak accidents, suicides, and murders. And the authors show that most of the deaths, whether they were tourists or prospectors or adventurers, occurred when people failed to pay attention to warning signs or did not use common sense. The biggest contributing factor to all the deaths in the Grand Canyon, a high testosterone level. Young men doing foolish things. Young men doing foolish things. How many of us, young men, fall, have fallen into that category at some time? We did foolish things that perhaps could have killed us. We did foolish things that could have ended us up in jail or should have ended us up in jail or could have taken our life in a very, very different direction. But yet God has spared you that. Or maybe he let you go through some of it, but not the full force of it. Now, what do we do with young men? How does a young man keep his way pure? Oh, that's a question that's answered in Psalm 119. By keeping it according to what? The word of God. 
That is how you keep a young man's way pure, by filling his minds with the things of God. With all my heart I sought thee. Do not let me wander away from your commandments. I've kept your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. This is the way that we shape young men, by shaping them according to the word of God. They say, wow, young men are the future leaders of the church. They will grow up and be these old men. Are they going to survive long enough to make it there? Are we going to be able to instill them with the things of God's word to the extent that they will grow and mature and get enough gray hair, spiritually speaking, that they can be the ones who set the example? That is a danger. That is a problem. It takes a lot of work. So, verse 7, look at verse 7 here. Paul kind of switches gears, and he, he switches and speaks specifically to the life of Titus. In all things, show yourself to be an example of good deeds, with purity and doctrine, dignified, sound in speech, which is beyond reproach, in order that the opponent may be put to shame. Let me cover just a couple of these very quickly. Young church leaders must show themselves to be an example of good deeds. This stands in contrast to the false teachers in chapter 1 who teach things and then their lives do not demonstrate any godliness at all. So our lives, gentlemen, must be lives of good deeds, lives that are purposely designed to promote the kingdom and demonstrate the things of Christ. We are created for good deeds. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10 We are his workmanship, created for good deeds, prepared when? Even before we were born, before the foundations of the earth. Those are the good deeds that we have been created to do. Secondly, young church leaders need to be pure in doctrine. Pure means uh, it's only used here in the New Testament, no place else. It means not corrupted. It means don't be corrupted by false teaching by the false teachings of the world, by the false influences of the world. Don't be spoiled by those things. Keep your mind on the word of God. Third, young church leaders must be dignified. It's probably connected to this purity of doctrine. If your doctrine's pure, then your life should be dignified. Fourth, young church leaders must be sound in speech and have that speech beyond reproach. That was one of my problems growing up, that my speech was terrible. Not just because I was from southwestern Pennsylvania, but because it was peppered with expletives. Okay? And I thought that was cool. And it, once I became a Christian, it took me a very long time to rid my speech of those words. Our speech is to be filled with words that encourage, words that are words of blessing, words that strengthen one another. And we are not to be, have our, our language and our conversation full of Uh, Ephesians chapter 2, let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth. Or Ephesians chapter 5, no filthiness or silly talk should come from our mouths. This is the requirement for those young church leaders. Other verses command us to put off any anger, bitter words, yelling, cursing, gossiping, any slander. Now, gossiping is is often focused on women in the New Testament, but it is not exclusive. There are men who do plenty of gossiping as well. The young man has a goal in his life. It's the goal for all of us who are considered young men 
That is to be engaged in something that is noble, engaged in something that is excellent, works of righteousness. Not things that are just cosmetically good, but things which are in essence good. Things that further the work of Christ, that declare the things of Christ, that further the kingdom. That is what we are to be about. We have an obligation to live purely according to the standard of Scripture. An obligation to live with integrity. An obligation to obey the word of God. To maintain a seriousness about holy issues. These are not things that we slough off. This is life. This is what we are called to do and be. And what is the result of these commands? What happens when old men do these? What happens when older women do these? What happens when younger men do these things? What happens when younger women do these things? Verse 8. In order that the opponent may be put to shame, having nothing bad to say about us. Know the things of Christ. Live the things of Christ. Put the enemy to shame. Let's pray. Gracious Lord, as we come to your word, here are the challenges for Christian men. There are different challenges given our our different ages. But in essence, they are the same. Fill our minds and our hearts with the things of your word. Keep our way pure. Pursue righteousness. Demonstrate the things of Christ. Be encouragers to others. Live in such a way that it will be an example to others that they will want to follow in our footsteps. As we imitate you, they'll imitate us. Lord, this is a high calling for men. There are many things in this society that call to us. Many things in this society that says success is over here or or pleasure is over here or you can find joy over here and that is not what your word says. Your word says seek first the kingdom then everything else what we need will be added unto us. It says blessed is the man who meditates on your word who fills his heart and his life with it day and night. That person is happy. Heavenly Father, I pray for the men who are here today that their lives will be shaped by the things of Christ. We are imperfect, and we won't be perfect till we are before you. But until that time, Lord, send the power of your Spirit down upon us that we might put aside those old friends who cling to us, those sins that perhaps we learned in our younger days that we might have our eyes focused on the finish, on the prize, that we might persevere all the way to the end, that we might finish well, that others would look at us and say, that's how I want to live my life. A man of honor and integrity and of faith, a man of passion, that's the person I want to follow because they followed Christ. Come, Heavenly Father. Fill us with these things. We ask this in Christ's name. 
Amen. As we prepare for communion, let's stand and sing the first.